Amen. Take your copy of God's Word this morning and turn to the 100th Psalm. The 100th Psalm, as we study together today, as we hear God's Word for us. And today, as we come to this place, we recognize that attitude is everything. Attitude is everything about our life. Attitude is everything about our relationship. A good attitude promotes a relationship. A difficult attitude challenges any relationship. It is so important in our relationships that we have good attitudes. I'm going to pause there for a moment for a word of affirmation from you or from an elbow an elbow of encouragement this morning. Ladies, maybe you need to apply that to the guy sitting next to you. Maybe your husband, maybe your boyfriend, maybe the guy that just so happened to be unlucky to sit in that seat today. But remind them that attitude is everything. And that a positive attitude in a relationship makes all the difference. Now think of this a moment. God has called us to enter into a relationship with him. A unique, wonderful relationship. A relationship we've talked about over the last few weeks. A relationship that we have prayed that would be multiplied. A relationship that would, where we would grow closer to him. If we're going to have that relationship that we need, then we need to have the proper attitude toward God. And that attitude needs to be an attitude of gratitude. It needs to be an attitude that is filled with joy, filled with praise. It is an attitude that I think is reflected by the psalmist here in this 100th Psalm. You've read it before. You've heard it stated. But listen to it afresh. Listen to it again as the psalmist writes and as he gives his testimony before God. He says, make a joyful shout to the Lord, all you lands. Serve the Lord with gladness. Come before his presence with singing. Know that the Lord, he is God. It is he who has made us and not we ourselves. We are his people and the sheep of his pasture. Enter into his gates with thanksgiving and to his courts with praise. Be thankful to him and bless his name. For the Lord is good. His mercy is everlasting. And his truth endures to all generations. The psalmist in this passage, in his testimony, reflects this attitude of gratitude. He is thanking God. He is praising the Lord. You see joy in his words. You see praise in his words. Today, as we talk about the attitude of gratitude, as we talk about having the appropriate attitude toward God in our lives, I want you to see that such gratitude is joy-filled, that it is full of joy. I believe this is one of those things that we need to recognize in the church's life today. That it is not only fine, but it is appropriate for us to have joy in our hearts and lives and for us to express that joy. Listen to what the psalmist says. The psalmist says that you make a joyful shout to the Lord. In verse 2, he says, serve the Lord with gladness. Notice throughout this passage, you hear the idea of joy and gladness coming before God in such a way. Joy can impact a relationship or the attitude of joy-filled gratitude 
it has an impact upon the relationship. As a matter of fact, think of it just a moment. How many of you love to be around grouchy people? Any of you just, I mean, that's what you desire every day, right? You get up in the morning, you think to yourself, if I can only find today the grouchiest individual that I that could come in my life. God, would you send them there? Now, some of you, I know some of you are very spiritual people and you're praying that so that you can make a difference in their life. I'm so proud of you for doing that. But most of you are not saying, let me find the individual that I believe is the saddest, grouchiest person I can find and, and, and let them be my best friend. No, that's not what you're thinking. When you see people, you like to see people, just as I do, who are genuinely joyful and happy. Now, I'm not talking about pretense. I'm talking about people who are genuinely joy-filled in their lives. And they have that type of gratitude. Think of this with God. With God, the most joyful being of the universe, God is. He wants us to come with a sense of joy-filled gratitude before Him so that He can relate to us, so that we can enjoy that relationship as we should. Joy. Lewis Mead says that if we miss out on joy, we actually miss out on the very reason for our existence. If we miss out upon the joy that the Lord wants us to experience, we somehow miss out upon the very existence. C.S. Lewis says that the joy is the serious business of heaven. That joy is the serious business of heaven itself. That heaven is joyful. God is joyful. He wants his people to be joyful. And he wants us to come in relationship with him and enjoy that relationship. Not to just somehow move through it. To get through it. But to enjoy the relationship that we have with him. You find it all throughout the Psalms. I mean, if you look through the testimonies that are given to us, we hear over and over again... This idea of joy that you find in God. Well, throughout the biblical witness, Nehemiah, he looked at the people of God and he said that the joy of the Lord is your strength. That you will find your sustenance, you'll find your strength, you'll find your vitality in the joy of the Lord. Paul in the New Testament will look at those believers and he'll say, rejoice again, I say unto you, rejoice to have joy if you're going to have the right attitude and if it's going to be an attitude sincerely of gratitude then it's going to be an attitude that embraces joy that is filled with joy our shouts and our service whether we are shouting to God or singing to God or whether we are serving him in both cases we should find the characteristic of joy in our lives. Now listen again what the psalmist says. Make a joyful shout to the Lord, all you lands. The invitation to come and to make a shout, to, to pay homage to the king, to worship him in such a way, and that you do it joyfully. That you do it joyfully. That means that when we come before him to worship him, that we're going to bring joy with us that we're going to be inspired by our relationship we're going to be inspired by who he is and that we're going to worship him in joy joy should be the mark upon this place when we come together 
on Sunday mornings. Joy should be the mark upon this place when we come on Sunday nights, Wednesday nights. When we gather for our personal time with God, joy should mark our lives. When we're singing, when we're paying homage to Him, when we're worshiping Him, there should be joy. I hope that you feel that when you come here to this place. I hope that you feel that in your life as you go before Him. So many people today have such a warped view of God. The, the view of God is that he wants us to just remain, well, he wants us to remain sad and guilty all the time, right? There are some people that think that's the way God is. I mean, that God is just, he is the cosmic killjoy who is trying to ruin their lives. You almost see that portrayed on television. You almost hear it in people that you meet, that somehow God wants to destroy your joy. God does not want him to destroy your joy. He wants you to come before him and to experience joy in true worship, in true adoration of him and exaltation of him, that you just simply enjoy it. And it goes beyond the forms and the methodologies we use. It goes to the heart in which we come before him. Make a joyful shout. Make a joyful noise to the Lord. All you lands, everybody, rejoice in him. But again, our, short, our shout should be filled with joy, but our service should also be filled with joy. Notice what it says. Serve the Lord with gladness. Verse 2, serve the Lord with gladness. Now, through the years of my study, I have realized that both in the Old Testament and the New Testament, doesn't matter where you are, doesn't matter whether you're using the Hebrew language or the Greek language, that you will find a word that can be translated service or serve, or it could be translated worship. So think of this. One word could mean both serve and worship. If you're Old Testament, New Testament, you come across a certain word, you know it can either mean to serve him or to worship him. So how do we decide which word to use? Well, always context. Context drives everything. It should drive everything in our study. So the context. But as I've worked through that, sometimes serve or worship, well, it could apply in the context. Both of them could apply. Now, I don't think that was an accident, actually. I think God intended to give us that type of, call it ambiguity, in the word itself, so that we could go back and forth because of this. Get this. Worship, true worship, is service. True worship is getting out and obeying the Lord, serving Him. So in other words, I do worship Him on Sunday morning, and I do worship Him on Sunday night when I come together collectively, but I also worship Him when I serve Him on Monday morning or Tuesday afternoon, or Wednesday night, when I serve him. And I do that with a gladness. Well, it's kind of like uh, the way we use certain terminology today to talk about the worship service. You've heard that before? I go to 9 o'clock, worship service. I go to 11.15, worship service. I go to the 
blended. I go through the traditional. I go to the contemporary worship service. You ever heard that before? You've heard the story. It's an old story, but I'm going to give it to you anyway because you need a little break, obviously, this morning. The old story about um, the young boy that goes through the foyer of the church and he recognizes that there's like a plaque there, has names on it. They look at the plaque and they look at the names and they begin to read those names. And, and the little boy asks his dad, what are those names? Who are those people? And his dad says, those names have been placed there on that plaque to memorialize those who've died in the service. To which the little boy said, the 9 o'clock or the 11 o'clock service? <laughs> which one did it? Sometimes that could be truer than we want to admit, right? <clears throat> so we use the terminology of worship service. But really, your service is not here on Sunday morning. Your service is not on Sunday night. Your service is not Wednesday night. Service is as you gather before God and you go out and you obey Him and do what He calls you to do. And He says, whether you're shouting or singing to God or whether you're serving Him, you ought to do it with joy. You ought to do it with joy. Serve Him with gladness. Rejoice in Him. That there's the mark of joy upon your life. Listen, too many of us Christians, too many of us Christians do not demonstrate joy in who we are and what's going on. Look, to be quite honest with you, if our neighbors looked at our lives and they were to see the lack of joy in our lives, why would they ever want what we have? Why would they ever want to come to know the Lord Jesus Christ? If we walk around, if we walk around with such an ungrateful attitude daily, why would they want what we have? Now, I'm not saying to you that we pretend. I'm telling you that we ought to genuinely come before Him and recognize that unique relationship, recognize who He is, and rejoice daily to demonstrate joy. Now, I'm not saying that you're always emotionally happy. Did I say that this morning? I, I didn't say that you are always going to be emotionally happy. There are going to be some times that you're sad. There are going to be some times I'm sad. I mean, right now, Mississippi State's won the first two out of three against Ole Miss up in Oxford. And I got a deacon up there texting me about it every other day. I'm not happy about that. Are you happy about that? No. Not going to always be emotionally happy. But I tell you this. I can be joyful. I can experience contentment and joy in my life. Even through some of the most difficult days. When I serve him, I don't want to serve him just begrudgingly. I don't want to go out and say, oh, here I go again. I'm going to live my faithful life. Yeah, I'm going to go out and I'm going to do what God wants me to do. He watch me, folks. I'm, it's going to be tough, but I'm going to do it. I'm going to do it. Oh, God doesn't want us to approach our service in such a way. He doesn't want us to talk about all the determination we've had and all the... He wants us just to go out and just serve Him and serve Him with gladness. 
Joy in who we are. Even through the difficult days. Even through the difficult days that we would show contentment and joy. An English officer is, he was in prison with Dietrich Bonhoeffer. Said of Bonhoeffer that when he looked at him, it was as though it was as though Bonhoeffer would spread an atmosphere of happiness and joy over every incidental event. And that somehow he would also demonstrate a profound gratitude for the very fact that he was alive. I read that. I read that acknowledgement of Bonhoeffer's life and his attitude, and I thought to myself, that should challenge us all. To be able to come before him, to worship him in joy, to serve him in joy as we go, that we have the attitude of gratitude, a gratitude that is filled with the joy of the Lord. Why? What's the basis of our joy? Well, I've indicated it already. It's in our relationship with him, but look at what the psalmist says in verse 3. He says, Know that the Lord, He is God. Know that the Lord, He is God. The word know is a term which speaks to an intimate, experiential knowledge of God. So this is not just some factual statement that you make. Oh yeah, I know He is God. It's more than just a factual statement. It is the experiential, intimate knowledge of who God is. He says, you come and you know him. You experience him in your life. And when you know him and know that he is God, he said, you will recognize that he is the one who made us and not we ourselves. He says, as a matter of fact, you will recognize that we are his people. We are the sheep of his pasture. So why do I have joy? I have joy because I know he is the Lord. And I have known him. I've experienced him. I've been transformed. That he alone is God. That there is no other God. That he is there on the throne. We've been talking about that, especially on Wednesday nights. Last week we talked about him being the king of our life here on Easter Sunday. Get this. We should have joy because he is the king and he is God. That means that everything that we experience, get this, everything that we experience is under his authority. There is no sickness, there is no pain, there is no death, there is no loss, there is no tragedy, there is nothing that is outside the authority and the power of God. And the king has a way of working things together, weaving things together. For our good and for his glory. That brings me so much joy. To know that I can go through the most difficult of days. And yes, I can experience some tremendous sorrow in my heart and life. But down deep, if you were to peel all the layers of the hurt and the pain off, you would find joy. Because he alone is God. And he has established a unique, loving relationship with me. He says, it is he that is God. Know that by experience in in this intimate way. Know that he is God and know that we are his people. We are the sheep. We are the sheep of his pasture. In other words, he has 
taken on the responsibility of caring for us and guiding us and leading us. We are his sheep. An intimate, close relationship that the God of heaven has chosen to have with us. Later on in the New Testament, Jesus will use this imagery and he will speak about how his sheep will hear his voice and know his voice. In other words, Jesus himself would speak to us and we would hear that voice, we would experience him, we would know him. That he claimed to be our shepherd. So we have that relationship. So when we come to shout or sing, when we come to serve, it's all based upon the relationship that he is king and that he is wanting to care for us and that he will care for us and that he will speak to us and that we can know him intimately. It's all based in the relationship, a relationship of joy. Listen. As you grow in your relationship, maybe it's your relationship to your wife or to your husband. As you grow in that relationship, there should be a growth in the joy that you have in that relationship. The joy that you have, that you're together. Um, as you grow, as you get to know, as you, as you understand that the other individual is there for you and for your benefit, and there should be an increased joy day by day. And getting to know God and multiplying your relationship with Him should somehow bring even greater joy in who you are and in what you do. Now, again, some difficult days, but those difficult days, they can actually grow your faith, grow your joy, grow your contentment in Him. So what do you decide to do? Well, what do you decide to do? I mean, joy is a decision, right? So you look at me, oh, no, but joy is a decision. What did Paul say? Rejoice again, I say to you, rejoice. That's what he said. There was a command, imperative. In other words, you can choose to rejoice. And remember, Paul was writing that little letter of Philippians while he was under arrest. And he was still, still talking about joy and rejoicing. What can you do? Well, you can stand with the psalmist and you can say, this is the day that the Lord has made. I will rejoice and be glad in it. What a wonderful statement in confession to be able to just say that. This is the day that the Lord has made. I will rejoice and be glad in it. Too many of us get up in the morning, we say, this is the day that the Lord has made. I will, well, if I got to rejoice, but I still may be mad in it. That may be what's going on. I might be sad in it. God hasn't called you to be mad. He hasn't called you to be sad. He's called you to be glad in it. He's called me to be glad. If we're going to have the attitude of gratitude, we've got to recognize that gratitude is filled with joy, with who we are. And then, I think as we read through this psalm, we recognize that that attitude is marked by praise, that it's filled with praise. 
Enter into his gates with thanksgiving and to his courts with praise. Be thankful to him and bless his name. For the Lord is good, his mercy is everlasting, his truth endures to all generations. Praise-filled. Not just joy-filled, but praise-filled. The idea of praising him. It says, be thankful to him. So you go before God and you just say to him personally, okay? Say to him personally, thank you. Do you know how powerful that is? And it should be in our lives just to stop and look at God and say, God, thank you. We haven't told you that in a while. Sometimes we relegate that to one week of the year around a holiday season. But God, we want to stop now and just simply say, thank you. My praise of you is going to be personal. What that does to a relationship. I, I think it's great in a relationship when somebody can look at somebody else and say thank you. Because they recognize that that individual has done something. Notice when you personally thank God, you are saying, God, I recognize you are the one that's behind this. That, this is not me. Remember what I had said earlier? We did not make ourselves... There is no self-made man. I don't care what it is. We all have had help before God himself. God is the one that has provided everything and anything that we have. So we go to him and we say, God, personally, we thank you. I think it's empowering to our relationships when we go to others and we say thank you for what they do. You know, when we affirm other people, we go to them and say thank you. You can almost see the relationship strengthen through that, can't you? I mean, every, all of us, all of us to some degree like to be thanked, right? All of us. I, can I admit to you, I like it. I like it. I just said it. I said it out loud. I like to be affirmed. I like to get a thank you every now and then. Um, Leslie and I went through this thing uh, a few years ago called the five love languages. We talked about it a little bit. You, you ever heard that? Some of you, yeah, no. Some of you don't care. It's all right, okay. Um, we did this, and we talked about our love language and how we express our love to one another. And, and uh, we were going down the five primary ways that Chapman speaks about expressing our love. And, and uh, it came up that my love language basically was the words of affirmation. And Leslie was kind of like, mm, I didn't have to read a book to tell you that. Um, <clears throat> didn't have to take a test. You didn't, I could have pretty much told you that. That's just kind of the way you are. I, and after she compared notes with some other pastor's wives, she decided that maybe all pastors have that kind of love language. We all like to be affirmed and thanked in some way. Many of us love that affirmation, that thank you, that it builds the relationship so often when... Maybe a husband will look at a wife and say, thank you for what you've done. Or when a child will look at his father and say, thank you. Or when a brother will look at a sister and say, thank you. There's so many places we can affirm one another, but let me say this to you. There's no one that deserves thanks any more than the God of heaven. And in our relationship to him, 
We should demonstrate that type of attitude. God, we thank you. We say it personally to you. And also, we say it publicly. We say it personally to God, and we say it publicly. Enter into his gates with thanksgiving, into his courts with praise. Now, if you go back and you read different commentaries, some say, well, maybe it was the entering into the to the city and specifically into the court of the king. Others, of course, and this is my view, is that it represents the idea of the temple, of coming before him in the worship context in the temple and the courts of the temple. And I, I think that's probably what it's stating. Either way, you know what it really speaks about is that you come before corporately and publicly and you simply say, thank you. You express it publicly. Your praise before God. Now, you want to talk about something affirming us oftentimes to get a personal thank you is something, but then to get a public kind of thank you or praise. How esteeming and affirming is that? And here we are coming before and saying, hey, we collectively... We say it publicly. We want all people to know. We want to declare it unto the nations that our God, that our God is good, that our God is merciful, that our God has demonstrated loving kindness to us. And we thank Him for that. We praise Him for that. He is the only one worth such praise. And that is really what the psalmist leads us into in that last verse. For the Lord is good. Want to talk about warped, twisted ideas of God today? How many people think that he's that tyrant of the universe that is trying to destroy people? Too often, that's what we see in our culture. That's not the God I serve. It's not the God you serve. The God I serve is a good God. The God I serve is a God whose mercy is everlasting. And that word for mercy there, there's not even a word in our English that can really capture the richness of the original language, the original term. There's not, it, it, it could speak about mercy, it could speak about loving kindness, it could speak about His grace, it could speak about how some way God demonstrates his unparalleled love, his unparalleled relationship with us. For the Lord is good. He is good. His mercy is everlasting. Day by day, the loving kindness that he shows to us, the loving kindness that he brings to our lives, the very breath of life that we were given this morning to get up and to come to this place, the energy, the strength, everything that we have, our families, all of it is a demonstration of his mercy and his grace. It is his truth that endures for all generations. The same good God that I serve is the same good God my kids can serve. And if Jesus Christ continues to tarry, be the same good God that my grandkids and my great-grandkids and my great-great-grandkids because he's still the good, never-changing God. And for that, 
My attitude of gratitude should be praise-filled. Joy-filled, praise-filled attitude. And how that will bring us, I think, even to a closer relationship and a closer walk. If we want to see our relationship with God multiplied, we need to embrace an attitude of gratitude. If we want to see our relationship with him grow and deepen, well, we need to discover the characteristics of joy and praise in our lives. And it will draw us closer. As we draw near to him with such attitude, he draws near to us. We can experience him. Today, today, would you commit yourself to this attitude would you commit yourself to walking with him in such joy and praise? Joy in your singing, your shouting. Joy when you walk out these doors in your service. Praise. Praise personally. Praise publicly. For the God that you serve. Let's pray together. Father, we come before you. And Lord, we recognize that you are God and that you are a good God and that you have worked in our lives in such a tremendous way. And God, I pray that we would be grateful people. And in our relationship, as you grow us, as you disciple us, Father, that we would become even more grateful that our joy would be multiplied, that our praise would be multiplied. God, I pray for my brothers and sisters who are here this morning that you would do a work among us and that you would, Lord, bring us to a stronger and closer commitment and relationship to you. Use this challenge this morning to speak to us. In Jesus' name.